Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello, everyone. I'm Andrea Mosley, and I'm here in New York at our HLB Leadership Conference. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Justin Kramer, Senior Vice President of Partnerships, New York City Economic Development Corporation. Jason Mariathanam, Practice Leader of HLB um, Vandal in Amsterdam. And Robin Chin, Senior Partner of HLB Singapore. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the cities of the future. So some of the world's most well-known cities are often the most competitive. They must compete for talent and investment to ensure they become the global hubs for businesses and people alike. So we're going to be discussing what has made the top performing locations world leaders and where we see the cities of the future. So if I could ask everyone to how would you define a city of the future? What elements do you think a city has to have to be considered a global hub? Yeah, uh, thank you again. This is Justin from the New York City Economic Development Corporation. Pleasure to be here. So I think a, a city of the future is one that is always pushing the boundaries, um, thinking about what is next and what are the investments it could be making in its people and its communities. Uh, and, and more specifically, it's a place that people want to be. Uh, I think former mayor of uh, New York City, Ed Koch, has a, some of a famous quote that really underlines this idea quite well. And his quote was, New York City is a place where the future comes to audition. Um, and so to your question about uh, what are the elements that, that are involved in this, I think from a person perspective, it's having a place that has a rich culture and arts, has access to open space, public transportation, all the things that make a city quite livable. But it's also having access to other people who are subject matter experts in things, who want to push boundaries themselves, uh, and has a culture of collaboration. So there is really the uh, ability to, to work with people together. From a business perspective, it's, it's first you need to get the basics right. It's having a stable rule of law. Uh, it's having easy to define and understand uh, regulations. Uh, it's having infrastructure in place that it makes the uh, doing business easy. Uh, and once you have those in place, you're going to attract the people who, who want to come uh, from before who, who will come here and, and work there. Um, hi, this is Jason from uh, HLB Fundal in Amsterdam. I might have a little bit of a skewed opinion on um, what a city of the future looks like. So um, I've traveled a bit around the world and I've noticed that uh, countries that emphasize on having a bike lane uh, in the city, and, and probably because I'm from Amsterdam, so I like, uh, you know, I travel to work on the bicycle and, and it, I come back as well with my bike. Um, these cities that emphasize more on um, using public transportation, using uh, getting to work with your bicycle, um, promoting mental health uh, issues, um, getting in touch with uh, sustainability. And when you see that repeating um, when you're downstairs having a cup of coffee, and when people are talking about how they, um, you know, back at home, what we have in Amsterdam is a lot of um, um, households have um, um, solar energy. And uh, you, sh you could sometimes hear about, oh, you know, uh, this morning my solar energy levels were this much and I've saved so much on electricity. This kind of talk um, is a good sign that the city is moving in the right direction with uh, everything that's happening around the world. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm Robin, Robin Chin from HLB Singapore. I couldn't agree more with the two gentlemen, Justin and, and, and uh, uh, Jason. Uh, I would like to just probably add one more point. Any, any city in the future, I think, should meet the future needs of the people. Um, if our people want uh, uh, law and order society, I think we should deliver that. Our, our people want a high-tech AI type of a country. I think we should also try to meet that kind of needs. So most importantly is we should be able, we should want to meet the, meet the needs of the people. And Justin, you mentioned about New York, um, how it's can, you know, kind of maintained its global position. Um, why do you think it's, um, what are the, some of the key things that you've noticed in your role and that the city has done as that it continues to be such a global player? So I think what New York City has been able to do quite successfully is that uh, as the world's economy changes, the city has been able to really uh, take a notice of that and make investments in order to evolve along with the rest of the world. And so kind of taking a quick step back, if you look back at the history of, of New York City, uh, in the early 17th century, we were a shipping port. In the 19th century, we transitioned to a manufacturing hub. At one point, we had half a million people working in manufacturing, and that's just in Manhattan alone. And then we transitioned again in the 20th century, we became a services hub, where we were home to and still are to, to finance, but also media, uh, insurance, among some other industries. And we really had a, a bit of a wake-up call in 2008, 2009, when the financial crisis hit, where we realized um, we were at a, a moment where we had to transition again. And where we decided to focus our attention was really on the tech sector, because it was both disrupting a lot of the industries that were here in New York City, but also was creating a lot of the new industries that were kind of popping up uh, in different parts of, of the globe. And so we've had tremendous success in uh, that transition. Um, as of right now, New York City has about 300,000 people that work in tech. The amount of venture capital funding that goes into our startups has increased over the past nine-ish uh, years, has gone from $1 billion to $13 billion. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite pleased with that. So how did we help uh, assist with that transition or pivot? Uh, we looked to make investments in a number of different areas. So the first thing we did was we thought about the talent. Um, we, you can't, of course, uh, have uh, businesses here without the proper talent in place for, for people to hire. So we did things like create brand new universities, like the Cornell Technion campus on Roosevelt Island. We also worked with our, our local institutions like CUNY, uh, the largest uh, public school system uh, in a metropolitan area in the country and uh, have implemented programs like CUNY2X, which really is, is increasing the number of computer science uh, students uh, within their schools. Uh, in addition to talent, we look at infrastructure upgrades that we can make, creating things like co-working spaces that allow entrepreneurs to work at uh, or work out of uh, and have access to flexible and affordable workspace. We try to find ways to unlock capital. Businesses need money in order to grow and to, and to get to scale. And so we've done things like uh, created venture capital funds uh, to help make investments in both uh, one fund for a life science company, uh, companies, and also another fund uh, that makes investments in women and uh, businesses owned by uh, uh, minority groups. And then uh, the last thing, which is really critical that, that we've done as well, is try to create a culture and a community of entrepreneurship uh, within the city. Um, the best ideas often come out of 
discussions that happen at the intersection. And so how do you bring people together who are experts in fashion, but in tech to grow a, a fintech or finance, the fashion tech sector? How do you bring finance people, tech people together for fintech? So we've done things like brought conferences to New York. We uh, organize uh, uh, hackathons uh, and other type of uh, competitions that really bring people together and create a sense of community. And Jason, despite the uncertainties that things such as Brexit and uh, new government regimes and regulations, cities across Europe are still considered to be top global players. How, how do you think European cities are tackling uh, the challenges of this uncertainty? Yeah. I, I would say that the most exciting economic partnership in the last hundred years has been the European Union. Uh, there's no other uh, place in the world where you can work freely in 28 countries, you can trade, you can move around, goods can move everywhere, so it's, it's such a pity that the UK <laughs> is deciding to leave, but uh, it's exciting uh, for us um, in, in commerce. Um, uh, Europe sees it as an opportunity for us and also a threat, and I'll start first with the opportunity. Um, and where is the opportunity? Well, companies are leaving um, London and deciding where they're going to set up the next uh, uh, hub. And um, some of the front runners in Europe are Amsterdam, Berlin. We've um, got also in Eastern Europe a lot of uh, uh, cities that are uh, taking their uh, pie or share in the pie. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of opportunity there, uh, not just for UK businesses that are coming out into U mainland Europe, but also for um, Asian and US companies that have traditionally seen um, the UK as their place to be, and, and now they are looking into other uh, cities. The threat for us is that, um, especially for a country like Holland, we're very dependent on um, trade with other countries. We have potatoes, we have uh, logistics, and apart from that, that's it. Mm -hmm. So we depend a lot with trade, and um, uncertainty such as Brexit can impact significantly our businesses um, from a currency perspective, from um, just the day-to-day -day things of running a business and what business does not like is uncertainty. Um, government playing, is playing a, definitely a big role in this and helping uh, businesses um, understand how you should prepare for a Brexit, um, how you should be less dependent on foreign markets. So we see, um, at least for, I can speak for the uh, city of Amsterdam and, and the Netherlands, um, we're focused more on our um, our local economy right now, and we're trying to use that as our basis to uh, run our base businesses. Um, and Robin, the overall strength of the Asian econ economy has seen cities like Singapore move up the rankings. Um, what initiatives and uh, innovations have these cities put in place to make them more desirable on the global scale? Yeah, definitely there are many things that our government has been uh, implementing. Uh, we are independent for 50 years already. 50 years ago, our Prime Minister, Lee Kuan Yew, asked the population, well, we, we, are, we are just born, exactly what kind of country we want to be. You know? We can remain a fishing, a fishing village, or we want to be a, a future metropolis. Mm -hmm. yeah? If you want to be the former a fishing village, we compete at the lower end of the, of the earnings scale. We compete with, with places like Bali and, and Phuket, if you want to be on a higher, higher scale, then you have to compete with uh, the developed cities. We may never reach the level of New York or London, <laughs> but we must aim to, to go to that level. 
So some of the things the government put in is uh, the very first thing our government put in was to keep all our people, you know, let them have a roof over their head, you know, so everybody got a place to live. So our economic development, our housing development, development board started massive uh, construction of uh, government housing. Today, 90% of our people lives in uh, government housing. The other 10% of course lives in uh, condominiums, landed properties, all this. Yeah. So the first thing is get people uh, have a place to live in, uh, make them make them feel they are part of the country. If they have the property in the country, they will feel like a proper citizen. Yeah. I suppose the next important thing the government did was to uh, to uh, to improve the to improve the, the infrastructure of the country. Yeah. Uh, so we have we have all the roads. We have the famous Changi Airport. We have Port of Singapore. Uh, the third thing I would say is uh, implementing law and order. Uh, we are a very fine city. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yes, you better not drop a chewing gum on the road. <laughs> <laughs> so rule is rule. Uh, you follow. Yes, we make it into a we cannot make it into a lawless country. Uh, I mean crime-free country, but uh, certainly we can keep crime rate low. So uh, the, local guy, the local people are happy. Foreigners looking at our country will also be attracted to our country because there's law and order, security, there's houses to live in. Yeah, and there's great infrastructure travel between the country and outside the country. Yeah. That, that's, that I think is the basic thing that has uh, made Singapore into a proper city. Yeah. Um, and Justin, you kind of touched on um, the talent aspect. So it's one thing for to encourage global businesses to set up entities in new business, but it's another to attract the right talent. Um, what experience can you share about the talent attraction strategies? Yeah, so I think New York, uh, first of all, starts off from a very privileged position. We have uh, over 100 academic institutions that are located within our city. And at any given year, we have about a million uh, people who are enrolled in institutions of, of higher education. Uh, one of my, my favorite stats uh, that I like to share is the amount of people in New York City that have a bachelor's degree or above uh, is greater than the cities of Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., L.A., and San Francisco combined. Okay. All of them together. Wow. So we're talking, to let that kind of settle for a second, we're talking about 2.3 million people that have uh, a higher uh, degree. Yeah. Um, quite remarkable. But we do think about talent um, from a number of different perspectives. So the first is, uh, to, your, to your question, how do we bring people into the city? Um, well, first of all, uh, it's, 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 you know, we are a global city. Uh, sometimes people are surprised to hear, but 46% of our working population is actually foreign-born. It's a remarkable number, especially here in the United States. And so we try to create an environment that's open and inclusive, where people feel like they can come here, and whatever, uh, wherever they come from around the world, uh, they'll hear the language that they speak at home, uh, spoke on the streets. Um, they have access to our, our academic uh, institutions. Um, and again, it's just a place where people can come in and, and work freely. But it's also, we do need to focus on people who already live in New York City as well. We make a lot of investments there uh, to make sure that our local population is competitive and has access to the jobs that are being created. 
Um, and Jason, you touched on this a bit um, earlier, but in what ways does kind of attracting and collaborating with global businesses benefit? Um, you mentioned the opportunities and threats of Brexit, but where do you kind of, um, is there any other opportunities outside of, of Brexit? Where do you see the opportunities for global businesses in the future? Right, so um, I'll speak for Europe now. So each country is, is very, um, we talk about dominance, um, so we're very industry focused. In the past it was like, oh, you're a dominant country, you're uh, economic hub, but now you're saying, oh, you, the Netherlands, for instance, is focused on health science. And so we will double down on health science. We'll put a lot of uh, money into uh, investing into businesses that are focused on that specific industry. And then that would be your promotion around the world saying, hey, if you're a health and science um, company or you're in the pharma industry, you want to come to the Netherlands because we've got incubators there, we've got um, companies that are willing to invest along with you. Um, so, so this helps us brand ourselves as um, um, for industry specialty. And, and other European countries um, have the same thing as well. So if you're um, a young business or, and you're trying to see, hey, um, where is the best place I can um, um, acquire talent, all you have to go, go down to um, the European um, Council's website and you'll see a lot of information on countries that have um, placed a special industry focus. And so if you're a health, health science business and you say, well, I want to have specific talent, just look on there and see where you can go visit the country, and you're bound to come across some very amazing people. And to, I'll throw this question to everyone, kind of with technology playing such a crucial role um, these days, do you think that every city is going to try and become the next Silicon Valley, or just create their own tech hub depending on the needs of the people and businesses it, it attracts? Uh, Justin, I'll start with you. So I think you, you are seeing a lot of places that have tried to become the next Silicon Valley um, with varying degrees of success. I think the approach that a lot of cities are, are now taking is you really do need to be looking at you know, what are the competitive advantages that each city has unique to themselves and, and build off of that. So for New York, when we uh, think about uh, tech, we don't want to be the next Silicon Valley. Um, we want people to think about New York City um, as defined by, by one word, and that's diversity. And using the word diversity in two different ways in, in this case, it's one, the diversity of the type of tech and type of businesses that take place here. So you can come to New York and it's not just going to be a tech town, it's a place where you can talk about ed tech, talk about health tech, you can talk about fintech, um, but we're not going to be defined by just being a tech place. Uh, and the second is uh, the diversity of our people, right? I mean, technology is something that's being impacting groups all across the world. Um, Silicon Valley is struggling with it being a bit of a monolithic society. And so how do we create tech for the people? And that can be done in New York City because we're one of the most diverse cities in the world. And we have the talent uh, that, can, that can build the tech and, again, make sure that tech is uh, uh, built for Robin, what are your thoughts? I, I think definitely IT, AI, all these are the future thing. Yeah? Uh, our government has been harnessing technologies. I think without technology, Singapore may not survive the next 50 years, for example, or, the, or food and drinks. We don't have any natural resources in Singapore. We need to import them from various countries, from neighboring countries. Um, but with technology, we can do something, you see. Mm -hmm. We have people now uh, um, uh, creating agricultural farms. 
up in the sky, you know, now that's <laughs> in the rooftop, eh? mm. we have agricultural farms, we, we can grow vegetables. I last heard that we, are, we managed to, to, to grow some strawberries, three types of strawberries. Mm. <laughs> so we can do that, eh? hopefully in time to come, we can make use of all the rooftops in our country. Yeah. That, that's an idea also, because every piece of land in Singapore is valuable. Even the rooftop, rooftop is blank, right? Mm. <laughs> so we are thinking of uh, putting uh, agricultural farms up there, no? agricultural farms there. No? Some of the rooftops can also be uh, be landing pads for 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 drones. Yeah? It's not just the simple drones. Yeah? You know, we are envisage, envisaging a, a future where people can fly to work rather than drive to work. You know? right. <laughs> so uh, that can be our our parking lots. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So something back down to earth is uh, say water. We also don't have water. We have to import from Malaysia basically. When 50 years ago, we are 100% reliant. Now we are about 50% reliant. So uh, we are aiming to be self-reliant in 30 years time when it comes to water. And and how to do that? We, again, we make use of technologies, yeah? Uh, we are on an island surrounded by water. Why don't we make use of the sea water? So we have all sort of reverse osmosis technology to, 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 to to, to get the salt out of the water, desalination plants, all these things. We also, uh, the next source of water is from the rain, right? We are also in a tropical tropical country, lots of rain. So we have lots of catchment areas. And then, and then just uh, do the similar similar osmosis uh, type of uh, thing. Eh? Get all the, get it as clean as possible. In fact, one more, one, one more thing I want to mention with regards to water, any type of water we can, uh, we can recycle them, you know. Even your your washroom water, you know, we can make use of that. You know? <laughs> we can actually recycle them until bottle, until it becomes a bottle water. Yeah. So so these are technologies. Yeah. Before technology, I don't think Singapore can be where it is today. Mm. Yeah. And how about the European? So market? so Europeans are generally very conservative people. So um, wh what I would say is we would go to great lengths not to um, have a burger priced at $35 um, in, our, in our cities. So we want to prevent, you know, we, we mentioned Silicon Valley, so we don't want to have San Francisco prices in, in Europe. So the government goes through a great lengths um, to make sure that um, it, it is still affordable to be uh, living in those cities, uh, especially European cities, because we're, we're, we're not exactly the cheapest cities in the world, but we also don't want to be the most expensive mm -hmm. as well. So we want to be very, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use the word conservative in that way, but I, we want to be careful how we build our infrastructure um, to be able to be make it sustainable for the years to come because this is not something that we want to have a rush for three years and then for the next 15 years it just, you know, just dies down. Um, so in that respect, um, we take uh, small bits at a time, um, but eventually you become a very strong leader. Um, over longer periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so with cities in like emerging markets making a surge in popularity, do you think the quote-unquote established players can continue to ma maintain their dominance or do you see there being a, a, a switch in, in the future? So I, I think you know, the world's economy has evolved for, for centuries and, and uh, you always see a kind of a shuffling on, on who is kind of um, 
a more dominant city and, and ones that regress slightly. But I think in, in our, our current state, I think the world's economy has grown so much that really the pie has expanded. Mm -hmm. And so it's, we don't necessarily see emerging cities as um, our competitors per se, but often uh, groups that we can be collaborating with. Um, a lot of cities face similar challenges that, that we face. Uh, an example of that would be on cybersecurity. Um, that's an area that New York's making a lot of investments to try to grow. We have a $30 million investment in a program called uh, Cyber NYC. And one of those programs is a, a global competition that we ran. Um, and it was around the idea of how do we help make small and medium-sized businesses to be as resilient to a cyber attack as a Fortune 500 company is. And so we ended up partnering with a whole host of cities and countries, um, eight in total. It was London, Paris. Uh, uh, Helsinki, Berlin, Israel, Singapore, South Korea, and Japan, um, where we did this competition all together, and we ended up getting about 169 applicants, uh, again, globally, and about, uh, about 106 of them were international, all to solve that shared challenge of how do we help small businesses um, uh, be more resilient to, to cyber crimes. And so those are the type of things that we think about um, where you know, there's a lot of things we can do to be complementary and supportive of each other versus being competitive. I don't think there's a template, you know, where every city followed a template and become a, a, a global city. You know? every, every country must look at their needs and develop accordingly, you must look at the comparative advantage, the strengths, and, and, and act accordingly. So like Singapore, we are a small country, small little island, so uh, our strategy is uh, we want to do a lot of things, but we cannot do everything, yeah? So, uh, so we become a hub for many things. Huh? So for example, when it comes to oil, we don't have any oil, but what we can do, we make it into an oil refinery country. We are in fact the third largest oil refinery in the world. Uh, we, we make ourselves into a transportation hub as well, so countries, uh, Flights coming in from Western Europe, America, Australia, all converge in Changi Airport, and then from Changi we go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we also attract industries uh, come to Singapore because Singapore has a small population, about six million dollars. So you can do all the design here. No manufacturing. We don't have the, the space to do manufacturing. You can we can be a design center and a testing center as well for for all the products. Yeah. Uh, then again, when we say, I, I said, uh, no space for manufacturing. Again, technology here play a part as well. Mm -hmm. We are, we can actually do a lot of uh, IT products. <coughs> yeah, for example, all the FANGs companies have set up the operation headquarters in Singapore. So we want to be an IT hub as well. Uh, you have, you have uh, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google. They all have uh, operation headquarters in Singapore. Uh, they also do some 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 design uh, and and testing the market as well. Yeah. So uh, that's it. We, we we cannot follow a textbook formula. We cannot follow New York or, or Netherlands. Yeah. We have to see wh what our strengths are and we act accordingly. Yeah. So um, no, I I totally agree with the two gentlemen next to me. Um, there there are, there are a few there's very few industries that are not affected by tech. Um, Coca-Cola has been there since, I don't know, 100 plus years. Uh, and tech is not really going to influence that much on, on how they make cola um, 
fancy watches the same way. But every other industry is going to be impacted by tech. Um, and so I guess what we're doing um, in Europe and with the uh, European Council and with the, the Netherlands is we're trying to invest in every, uh, we're going to see how can we uh, bring tech into every business uh, because that's going to be the way that we remain relevant and competitive in the in, in the current world we live in. And if you don't make those investments in tech and agriculture, tech and uh, finance, tech and um, retail, um, I'll tell you about where I'm from. I'm a sm from a small town next to uh, the airport called Hofdorp, and I can tell you every other day retail uh, companies are, are just shutting down. Um, so we have to be able to uh, bring technology in, help uh, reskill the people that have invested their t life savings into building a, a, a brick-and-mortar store to be able to get them out of that um, rut they're in and um, be ready for the next 20 years. Great. Thank you all very much for your time. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.